Uh, we're in a series called Hills and Valleys, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. But I love to look in the camera at the back of the room. I don't know if you know, it's amazing to me. We're one church in a couple of different locations. And so want to say good morning to the chapel in Richmond, 1115. I know a lot of you are making that switch from the 930 to the 1115 to make space at the 930. So we're glad you're here. And I know a whole mess of people came to the 8 a.m. today. And if, you, uh, if you're interested in knowing here in Midlow at 1115, the 4.30 service, I'm telling you, is the greatest service of the weekend. I'm just telling you, it's the greatest service of the weekend. And then let me tell you something else that's really exciting happening just, just as we're making a, couple, a little bit of space over the next couple months as this building's finished. And that is that we have a growing campus in Mosley, Virginia. And uh, Mosley Elementary School had like 311 people Last weekend, a version of the chapel there. Everything we do as a church is there. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, it, and it's 15 degrees warmer always at Mosley. And uh, I don't know why, just when you just move west. And so uh, that's not true. But um, uh, just in case you want to be a part of that, you let us know. Fill out one of those little cards. And, and we're helping make space as we get ready to move into the, uh, to the new year. And then I want to say uh, one other thing. Um, like, you, like you heard in the promo, freedom groups are opening today. I think it's like 23 um, <clears throat> different, that's, that's interesting, uh, 23 different groups that are launching uh, for freedom groups. So we've opened those. And though we, we encourage everyone, I've been through it, my wife, our team, uh, if you've never been through a freedom group, that's your next best step. Those will op- open today. So if you want to jump in those, but do me a favor, jump in them soon because they'll fill quickly. But then next weekend, you'll see we'll open the directory churchwide and hundreds of people will get connected in community. And so it's still time to register your group this week or next week. But next weekend, we're excited to really open the directory and see so many people get connected. And then we're finishing up our last week of 21 days of prayer. Really cool story. Um, Earlier this week, we canceled prayer one day, in-person prayer, because of the weather. And uh, those of you who knew, I grew up in upstate New York where there's all this snow. So people are texting me, you wuss, you know. And I'm like, I'm doing it for you Richmond people. You know what I mean? You all freak out. So, and... uh, but like 50 people, 60 people came to church anyways. And so we, we gave them a key. They broke in and, uh, and they did the same prayer service, songs, devotional, walked around and prayed. I'm so thankful to have a church that on a snow day breaks into the building. Come on and praise. How many are thankful for a praying church? And man, if, uh, if I know we'll have all week of prayer, really excited, but the finale of prayer is this Saturday. I'm telling you, if you've never been to a prayer finale, it's special. We take the seatbelts off. People throw babies in the air. It's amazing. And so you want to be a part of uh, the prayer finale this weekend. Because how many know God answers prayer? How many know God answers prayer? Come on, God answers prayer, part of a praying church. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being people that pray and give and serve. And so thankful to be a part of this community. Well, We're in a series called Hills and Valleys. We're starting this year looking at how God shapes us sometimes on the mountains. But how many know God also shapes us sometimes in the valleys, right? And and so we want to talk today about a valley that you you probably know the story, but you may not know the name of the valley. It's the Valley of Elah. And it's the valley where this giant Philistine named Goliath walks down a hill for 40 days in a row into the center of a, ga- of a valley and he, Goliath taunts the armies of the living God. And, and the men of Israel, they, 
they shake in their boots for 40 days until this little uh, servant boy named David, come on, who's 15 years old, come on, he's got a paper route, and, uh, and he says, I'll go, and I want to learn together today how God can help us uh, overcome the giants in our life. Here's what a giant is. It's anything in your life that's holding you back from where you are and from the life uh, that God has for you on the pages of scripture. How many are believing God, God has more for your life? Man, that's what I'm believing God for our church. I'm believing God. I, hey, I'm grateful for what God's already done, but how many think we're just getting started of what God's gonna do, right? And, and I think the same in your life and mine and my children's life in this community. God has more he wants to accomplish. And, and I wanna talk to you today about what do you do when there's something standing in between where you are and what God wants for you? And, and how do you handle that? And Dr. Tony Evans gave this little phrase that really helped me called the anatomy of a giant, where he really diagnosed the giant that David had and the Israelites had in 1 Samuel 17 and how it kind of can be true in our own life. And he, he describes a giant in three ways. He first of all said, a giant is when something in our life, it looms large, it, it feels too big for us. When we see it, it gets in the, it's the one thing that affects everything. It's the one thing when we look at it, we feel overwhelmed by. I, I remember in elementary school, my dad, I grew up in the 80s and 90s where, uh, uh, how many know everything was different in the 80s? Come on. I, I was just thinking the other day, uh, come on, how many know seatbelts were not even a thing back then? I mean, I, I got to tell you, I used to ride in the back of my dad's, uh, uh, they had a company truck with a bed, and we would just ride in the back outside. You'd be at a red light, you'd be waving at the police officers. It was like, just fine, you know what I mean? Seatbelts, they were like, seatbelts were for wusses. And, uh, uh, but I remember uh, they took me, my dad and my uncle took me to a basketball game, the Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia against the Boston Celtics. Uh, if you don't know sports, Charles Barkley, Larry Bird, I mean, it's a great. I couldn't wait. And the entire first quarter, thanks to the kindness of God, the seat in front of me, nobody sat in. I had the most unobstructed view of the court. And midway through the second quarter, I saw a really tall guy starting to come make his way up the stairs. And, and I thought, you know that feeling whenever somebody's getting on a plane with a baby, you're like, please don't sit here, just please. And, and he just kept coming and coming and coming. I thought, oh no, and then he come, and, and don't you know, he, he had the seat right in front of me. And, and I'll never forget in the second quarter, his, the only thing more impressive than how tall he was was the width of his head. <laughs> this guy had this gargantuan head. And I remember thinking, I can't see half the court because of this guy's head. And, and I learned a lesson that day that even though his head comparison to the court wasn't, wasn't bigger than the actual court, the proximity of his head to me could obstruct even something bigger. And, and how many know that's true in our own spiritual life? It's not that our problems are bigger than God. Sometimes they're just so close to us that, that because of their perspective, it's giving us the perspective that they're bigger than God. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And, and that's what Goliath was in the nation of Israel's uh, situation. It was a problem that loomed large. I mean, literally large. Goliath was nine foot tall. The Bible tells us he was wearing armor that weighed 125 pounds. Goliath didn't wear, weigh 125 pounds. The armor, the, the, the breastplate, the, the sword weighed 125 pounds. Think about it. Goliath was wearing two middle schoolers. Come on. 
I mean, nine foot tall, 125 foot uh, pound, 125 pound armor. And here he goes out and he taunts the armies of the living God. And day after day, the nation of Israel were fearful. They saw this towering presence. And not only did that giant loom large in their life, it created an emotion in them of fear and intimidation. And I'll tell you, that's the second sign that you've got a giant in your life. It's when something in your life intimidates you. Like when you think about it, it changes your emotions. When you think about it, fear is triggered. Uncertainty is triggered. Uh, Second guessing is triggered. That's a sign that that's a giant in your life. In fact, if you were to read 1 Samuel 17 in both verse 8 and verse 24, the Bible says that the nation of Israel trembled in fear meaning they took one look at Goliath and they were just scared, flat out fearful and intimidated. And some of us here today know that experience of of not only feeling the, the largeness of our problem, but knowing that that one thing can affect everything, our emotions. It looms large, it intimidates us. And the Bible says 40 days over and over again, it just wouldn't go away. Goliath climbed down into that valley of Elah and he taunted the armies of the living God. And what stood, I want you to catch this, between Israel's future and God's best was a giant. And I think for some of us, what stands between God's best for us and our future are some obstacles. And I want to let you know at the very end of the story, everybody, every preacher preaches, you know, David throws the stone, hits the Goliath, yeah. But I'm going to preach the end of the story, even though it's not popular. And that is, David went over and took the sword out of Goliath's uh, belt, and he chopped his head off. And so when you go to lunch and people say, what'd your pastor preach on? You're going to say, we're cutting the heads off of stuff today at church. And so nobody puts that on 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 their fridge, you know, like... But here's what I'm believing today, that God's going to chop off some of the things that have been holding us back, and he's going to lead us into the future. Anybody believe in that today? Anybody believe in that? Come on. Believe in God for that. So let me show you David's attitude, and it's repeated twice. Whenever something's repeated in scripture, it's done for emphasis. And David, David comes, and he, he asks the man standing near him, what should be done for the man who kills the Philistine? He says, who is this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David says the same thing ahead in verse 36. He says, you see, I've killed a lion and a bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will just will be just like that to me. Here, here's what David says. He says this phrase, uncircumcised Philistine, twice in this chapter. And if you're a young person here today and you don't know what uncircumcised means, you should ask your mom on the way home today from church. Okay? Uh, let her handle that. Uh, this is some sermon today, you know, and, But here's what, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people. And so when David says uncircumcised Philistine, here's what he's saying. You all are only looking at the height of Goliath, but I'm being reminded of the fact that he is not one of God's people. And because he's not one of God's people, then God's blessing doesn't rest upon him. And so you see a problem, I see an opportunity And here's the first thing. If we're ever going to get rid of the giants in our life, we're going to have to learn to get a spiritual perspective on our problem. I'm telling you, sometimes we're too human for for our own good. 
And David realizes, no, 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 this guy isn't one of God's servants. And so he's not going to have dominion over us. He's not going to rule our future. Our God's going to help deliver us into all he has for us. And so God chooses David. And I got to be honest, David is the least likely guy to go fight Goliath. He's a teenager. In fact, the whole chapter 17 describes Everything it describes about David is an unlikely guy to win, okay? This is not a UFC fighter, I'm just telling you. Uh, David is the youngest of eight sons, and especially in biblical times, the younger brothers were not seen with high respect, and so he's not seen as first in his family. Not only is he the youngest, he has probably the worst occupation of anybody. He's a shepherd. You know, we hear the word shepherd and we think it's wonderful. But in biblical days, if you were a shepherd, you got the job no one wanted. You know what I mean? And so David's the youngest in his family. He's got the job no one wants. In fact, he only shows up on the battlefield. No one's even invited him to, to war. He's just there delivering lunchables. He's, the Bible says he's got, he's got some bread and some cheese to bring to his brothers. His father sent him with bread and cheese to bring to his brothers. for the, he, Hey, he's two pepperonis away from being a pizza delivery guy. I'm just done. And as David shows up on the scene, he'd be the least likely to be used of God. But let me just remind you of something today. The Bible says this, it is not by might, come on, and not by power, but by my what? By my spirit, says Lord. How many know God doesn't need strong people to do strong things? How many know God can use normal people like you and I? Any normal people in the room? Okay, mostly Richmond, I'm going to have to ask you, these people are not at all. No, we are spectacular, you know. And here's the point. God uses the least likely and the left out and the uncertain and wouldn't you know. And I'm telling you today, that's what God still does. How many, how many are grateful God still uses the least likely? and the left out. And God, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's just looking for normal people like you and me. And that's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of what God has come to do for you and I. In fact, all throughout scripture, there are people who would have come up short and would, the people God used were, I mean, think about it, Josiah. Imagine if you asked Josiah, should he be king? God made Josiah king in the Old Testament when he was eight years old. How many trust your eight-year-old? I don't trust my 18-year-old. Come on, somebody. Uh, Josiah would have said, I'm too young. Come on, Abraham. Abraham would have said, I'm too old. Come on, he was 100. His wife was 90. Come on. And God said, I'm going to give you many children. I I don't meet many people at 100 who are like, I, we're, you know, we may run it back. If we still can find the pack and play, we may run it back. But Abraham, Josiah would have said, I'm too old. Abraham would have said, Uh, Josiah would have said, I'm too young. Abraham would have said, I'm too old. Isaiah, the prophet would have said, I already failed in ministry. God, how can you choose me? Moses would have said, you're calling me to speak, but I stutter. God, how can you use somebody like me? Hosea would have said, my marriage is too messed up. How could you ever use somebody like me? Rahab would have said, man, I used to be in the paper. I don't think that's good. Come on, God can't use me. The apostle Paul killed Christians. I mean, I'm just telling you, if you sign up at Growth Track and we say, what church did you come to before us? And you're like, we were murdering people. 
you're probably going to get a sit down and a coffee. Come on, somebody, before we sign you up for pre-K. I'm just saying, you know. Because how many know God, aren't you glad God doesn't need a bunch of people that have it all together? Dr. Adrian Rogers, great preacher. He's now with the Lord. He did this. I won't do it. He did this. I think it's kind of rude, but he, in church one Sunday, he said, everyone who used to be valedictorian of their class, stand up right now. He said, stay standing. Everyone who used to be salutatorian, stay standing. If you used to be captain of your sports team, stand. If you've gotten a medal of honor, stand. He had all these honors that he had everyone stand. And then he said, everyone standing, look at everyone sitting. I want you to know this. The only people God can use are the people that are still sitting. <laughs> now, I don't th- that's why I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I have some wisdom. I mean, I, well, here's the point he was trying to make. God, how, many know, how many know God doesn't need good grades? Um, now, listen, if you're a young student here, you should get good grades. I got, I got C's, and I'm telling you, come on, somebody, C's, get degrees. And I'm just telling you, uh, but, but you should get good grades, uh, or you'll have to be a pastor. I'm just telling you, you know. No, I got grades a little better than that, not much, but uh, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, I'm so glad. Here, here's the whole point I'm trying to say under this point, that weakness is an advantage because dependence is the goal. And when you and I understand how weak we are, that God uses weak people in the hands of a mighty God, then anything is possible. Come on, in Richmond, in the lobby here, just turn to the person next to you and tell them that means God can use even you. Come on, tell them even you. Come on, in the lobby, come on in Richmond, tell them even you, even you. The second thing David brought was not only... uh, Uh, understanding things, but he brought spiritual solutions. It's interesting to me as David is about to fight Goliath, his posture is very interesting to me. I love this. The Bible says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack David, look at this phrase, David what? Ran quickly toward, how many know this is a crazy guy? Come on. Like if I'm going to fight Goliath, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm going Father, help me. I'm going to walk slow because I need a long prayer. Come on, David is running towards him. And I, I've got a little bit of a cold, so I can't, I kind of want to shout this today, but I can't. So I don't have it in my voice. So I just, you know, when I was thinking about David running, I was thinking this is a season, hear my heart, for the people of God to not be on defense, but to be on offense for the kingdom of God. This is not a moment to shrink back and recoil. This is a moment to move forward. And David understands something. When he moves forward, the God of angel armies moves with him. Jesus taught us this, that when we would take a step of faith, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here's the point. Uh, uh, Jesus is teaching us God moves when his people move. God moves when his people move. I remember a couple of years ago when we knew we were out of space and we had to start preparing to build a building and we had finally paid off debt as a church and things were comfortable. And I remember saying to a pastor friend of mine, we don't have the money to build a building yet. And he said, well, you're going to have to build a building to get the money to build a building. And I said, but I want to have the money to build a building before we build the building so that when we build the building, we have the money to build the building. 
And he said, you're going to have to start building the building without the money to build the building, or you're never going to get the money to build the building until you build the building. And I said to him, well, what if I start to build a building and there's no money to build the building? He said, well, then you're just going to have to have faith. And I said, well, I didn't go into the ministry to have faith. I'm not trying to do that here. I'm not trying. I'm not trying. Here, here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. God moves when his people feel a step of faith and his people move, right? And what have we watched happen? Every step along the way we've taken, God's provided just enough for that next journey, right? And I'm telling you today, I used to think that faith eliminated fear. And now I realize faith does not eliminate fear. Faith just overrides fear, <laughs> Faith is not the absence of fear. It's just doing what you don't want to do anyways. Come on. And so you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm waiting until I don't have any more fear to do something. Will you be waiting forever? How many know sometimes you just have to take a step of faith, fearful as can be. Come on, the day we committed to build this building, I stepped out and preached a big sermon. And in my heart, I said, oh, this is terrible. I don't know if you remember, a COVID Omicron happened the week we launched our building campaign with buffet dinner. Come on. I said, please come and join me at this buffet dinner and, and then Omicron. And then people said, well, everyone's going to die. And I didn't know what to do. And then, then Russia invaded Ukraine and then gas prices. And then I said, you know what? I don't know. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. Uh, everyone has Omicron and the, the Russia is fighting and, and the gas. And so we're going to build a building and, and amen. And I went home, I'm telling you, I had no faith. They were trying to count the cards up, commitment. And I said, somebody better count those quick and it's, and it's gonna go bad. And, and I started preparing the next week's speech of like, the reason we're gonna stop is because we're wi- wisdom. And I had a whole sermon on wisdom and uh, which is kind of code for I'm a chicken. And, uh, and then you all said, hey, we're in this together. And God started providing. How many know all faith is, is not not having fear. It's just not letting your fear control you. And David ran to the battle. I'm telling you, he ran to the battle. In fact, I think David knew exactly what he was getting into because the Bible tells us he brought five smooth stones. And I used to think that was in case he missed a couple times. Who wouldn't bring a couple extra? But there's another, uh, scholars teach us that Goliath probably had four brothers in Gath. And so David's just like, maybe I'll knock him down and his brothers will come in. Come on, how many know you you're have, come on, how many know that's not fear, that's just wisdom? Come on. And I'm telling you today, some of us have let fear control us too long. And that giant has said, God has no future for you. And God's speaking words of faith and courage and hope over us that he's going to help us and show himself strong. In fact, you know, in Numbers chapter 12, the the people of God are getting ready to go into the promised land. And and God's going to give them faith for this land. But they come back and they say the land's exactly like it's supposed to be. And of the 12 men that went into the land, two of them brought back a good faithful report that God could build, uh, build his plan to build cities in that new land. And, and 10 of the 12 men brought back a negative report. In fact, I just want to read you. I wrote down their names of the 10, the 10 faithless guys in the Bible. And, uh, if you have ever personally met someone with the names I'm going to read, just raise your hand. Okay. And if you're right now pregnant, considering names, these are some suggestions. These are the 10 guys who brought back a negative report. Uh, J-Fat. Any J-Fats in the room? 
Samoa. Any Samoas? Eagle. Eagle. Palti. That's available. Palti. Palti. Gadiel. Seether. Giolyol. Gadiel. No one? Okay. Let me read you the two guys that brought back a faith-filled report. And you raise your hand if you ever met somebody with these names. Joshua. Anybody ever met a Joshua? What about Caleb? Anybody ever met a Caleb? Let me tell you why. Because the faithless, those who, who bow to fear and are faithless, they're forgotten. And what I love about David is he moved forward in faith, not because he wasn't afraid. He just trusted God more than he leaned on his own fear, right? And here's what David said. It's really amazing to me. He says, Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you. Don't you love this? Come on. I come to you in the what? In the name of the Lord. Does anybody know there's power in the name of the Lord? Do you know if you study the Old Testament, there are 85 85 different names for God listen in the Old Testament. And yet the name that David chooses to use is the name that he needs in that moment. He says, I'm looking for the Lord of hosts and the God of armies, right? And it's actually interesting throughout the Bible, the people of God called God by the name of based on their circumstances need. Isn't that amazing? Meaning if they were in a situation when they didn't have enough, they would pray to Jehovah Jireh, my God who provides, Right? If they were sick in their body, they would pray to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. When David is in a place of going into war, he prays to the God of armies. I want to just encourage you, no matter what you're facing, there's a characteristic in the character of God and the name of God that you can use like a weapon to battle against your, uh, against your circumstances. In fact, that's why you heard freedom groups push. Freedom groups will teach us all about the names of God, all about the character of God, all about how to just take the truth of God and apply it directly to what we're facing. And I want to encourage you today, no matter what you brought into the room, God isn't like, oops, never thought of that one. Shoot. (laughs) What is the name of that grocery store? It's a new one. It's like, uh, my mind's blanking. It's like, it's a weird one. Uh, no, not Aldi. Lidl. Lidl? 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 Lidl. Okay, I've only been in there twice, but I'll never forget it because you can get like apples, grapes, a kayak. <laughs> I, I, I never seen anything like it in my life. I'm like, who has a kayak? Who gets a kayak? Like, you're just like, beep, beep. <laughs> kayak, you know? Like, I didn't get it, you know? Because how many know you go into a normal grocery store and you can't get a kayak? I'm just telling you, you can't. I'm just telling you, no matter what you need today, God has it, okay? I'm just here you today, no matter what you need, there is a characteristic in the abundant nature of our strong God that will meet you right with, right where you are at. Amen? All right, let me give you two takeaways and maybe a third based on time, and then we're done. Nudge the person next to you and tell him he's almost done. Come on, let me, he's almost done. Let me give you... Let me just give you a couple takeaways, a couple takeaways to kind of take this message and apply it to our lives. Here's the first thing I see, a takeaway, practical takeaway. You need to be careful what you see and what you say, okay? Be careful what you see and what you say. I, I, I saw this throughout the chapter. We can't camp out on it, but 
whenever the Israelites saw the man, they ran from him in fear. Some of you are just staring at your problems so long that that faith is withering in your soul. You just, you are an expert in seeing what could go wrong. I was talking to a pastor the other day and he said, it's going to be a hard year for churches in 2024. And I said, I said to him, I said, what? Why do you think it's going to be a hard year? He said, oh, it's going to be a hard year. And I said, why do you think it's going to be a hard year? And he said, well, did you know it's an election year? And I said, is it? I did that just to mess with him because he was like, you didn't know it's an election year? I was like, man, that's a great point. He's like, you know, the country's going to be divided and we're going to, you know, he said, are you going to tell your people who to vote for? And I said, a little. That's a good pastor right there. Come on, somebody. And he said, but I don't know, it's going to be divisive. I said, it's going to be a great year, man. It's an election year. It's going to be a great year. I mean, it's going to, we're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be a great year. I mean, I'm not bending my whole hopes on, on this thing either way. I'm just telling you, but I'm putting my hope in the Lord, but it's going to be a great year. I'm just saying all he could see is it's going to be a bad year. It's going to be a bad year. I was like, it's going to be a great year. And I was like, and if you keep seeing it as a bad year, it's going to be a bad, I'm telling you, sometimes, sometimes the way we look at things, we're defeated before we enter the ring, right? There's no way I can. It's never. And because here's what's happened to the Israelites. When they start seeing wrong, they start saying wrong. And they've been saying, the Israelites not were saying, they had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? Do you see the Goliath? Do you see? Do you see how bad it's going to be? Do you know? Do you know how bad? Have you heard about AI? It's going to take over the world. Other life forms. Come on. Nick Saban left the Crimson Tide. What will happen? The Lord is on the throne. I don't know what's going to happen. The world, the economy, the church, Generation Z changing their worldview. Uh, how people don't. I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. I'm still convinced that God is on the throne. That He's building people's lives. That He's alive and strong and steady. Hey, this will not be a house that sees only what can't be done. This will be a house that sees what can be done because we have the God of armies on our side. I'm just telling you the God of armies on our side. So be careful what you see and be careful what you say. Here's the second one. I don't have much time for this. Your giant is dead, yet your giant is still deadly. <laughs> and so here's what I mean. How many know on the cross, God defeated Satan and hell and demons on the cross? Amen, right? But how many know he still has power? Now greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So he's dead, but don't forget he's still deadly. So David knocks Goliath down, but he's going to make sure somebody, come on. And David ran over and stood over him. And after he had killed him, he said, I'm going to make sure. He took out the sword and he cut off his head. And the Bible actually says they sent it around Israel as a testimony to God. And so I thought about starting a small group like this. So. David's one bad dude, he's running after a giant. And then he's just like a lunch pail holding his hair. I just picture him holding the hair, like just walking around like, what's up guys? He, he, yeah, here's what he's saying. He says, I actually heard somebody say, do you know this? Uh, that you can cut the head off a poisonous snake, 
But if you're not careful and you were to step on the, the fangs of that snake, do you know he could still poison you? Even though that snake has no power, the venom still... I'm just encouraging us today. We, we don't, we're, our God is stronger than the enemy around us, but that doesn't mean we should play around with things that we don't need to play around. And so your giant is dead, yet he's still deadly. And so let's have a respect. Let's stay away from... Hey, maybe this year is the time to stay away from some things. Keep our hearts for God. And then here's the last thing here today. What we think is natural isn't... It's, it's spiritual. Come on, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. I love David's words. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. For it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. I don't know if you've ever seen this. David is running down the hill to fight Goliath. And he's so certain of God's victory. Look at this. He doesn't say, God's going to give you, Goliath, into my hands. He says, God's going to give all of you into our hands. This blows my mind. He's running with a slingshot. Here we go. There's a nine-foot giant in front of him, and he's so certain of God's delivering power. He's yelling at the army behind him. Hey, y'all. I'm telling you, this is one bad dude. I'm telling you. I mean, think of this kid on the playground. He's like, I got y'all. You know, I mean, like, he's like, you are out. And they're like, you haven't even beat this one guy. And he's like running after, he's like, I got y'all. I'm telling you something, he's so convinced that the delivering power of his great God, that whether it's one or 1,000, it matters not to him for his, he understands God does not save by sword or spear or javelin for the battle is the Lord's. And I'm telling you today, some of us have been fighting spiritual battles with natural weapons. And God's saying, no, if you'll give the battle over to me and in the name of the Lord, I will give you victory. I love this. And then I'm going to pray for us. God never said that weapons would not form in our life. He simply said they would not prosper. And that means that there will be obstacles in your valley of Elah that you will be frustrated with and wish weren't there. But the strong hand of our God will be with you. And you can say like David... God's got you, God's got you, God's got it in his hands, and I'm going to trust him for it. Would you bow your heads with me all over this room in just a second? I'm going to turn it over to our campuses. But before I do that, if you're here today, I won't take long, but if you don't have a relationship with God, or maybe you wandered away from it, and today you say, Pastor, the first giant I need to deal with is myself. So pray for me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ, either for the first time, or maybe you've wandered away, and today you say, I need to come back home. Nobody's looking around. I won't embarrass you, I promise, but I'd love to just pray for you. If that's you today, you say, Pastor, in Richmond, in the lobby, in Chesterfield County Jail, in a Virginia Department of Correction, you say, Pastor, pray for me today. I'm not certain of where I'm at in my relationship with God. Will you just raise your hand up quick and put it back down? Say, pray for me. Is there anyone here today? You say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me one last time in the lobby right there. I see that, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Proud of you. One last time in any location. God sees your hand. Even if I don't, you just say, pray for me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
right where you're seated, you pray a prayer just like this, and then I'll turn it over to our campuses. It's not magic words, but if you mean it, God will hear it. God, I know that the wages of sin is death, but I believe the gift of God is eternal life. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Save me today. Come into my life. Take away my shame. Take away my sin. Cover me completely. I'm placing my faith fully in you. as the Lord and the treasure of my life. I'm done running. I'm done trying to fix myself. I'm done trying to do it my own way. You said if I confess my sins, you'd be faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I do that today. I make you my Lord, the treasure of my life. Save me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll turn it over at campuses today.